Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Luke chapter 6, and we shall read some verses starting in verse 37. Jesus said, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrites, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's just pray as we look at these words together. Lord, we want to receive these words as the very words of God. We thank you, Jesus, that you taught us Uh, through your words and through your actions. And we pray right now that we would learn from you, the master, that we would be trained by you, that your word would be living and active as we listen and as we apply it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've actually had a few days off this week and I've been on holiday with the family, which has been really enjoyable. Had a lovely time in the Lake District And so you can imagine that as I was coming to today and thinking, I need to prepare a sermon, uh, and yet uh, I've been on holiday, I was very grateful that I didn't have to prepare a sermon today because Jesus gave us a sermon, and I'm just repeating his sermon to you today. So thank you, Jesus, for giving us my sermon for today. Now, obviously, I did have to put some work in to actually try and understand what Jesus was saying. Um, But here we have what is known as the Sermon on the Plain, otherwise known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it was a level area that Jesus was teaching the large crowds that had gathered to him. Kate and I were in Israel a few years ago, and there was this natural amphitheater, which we went to, which was just a a flat area with a bit of a slope so that voices could be heard loudly across across this this field. And uh, it was reckoned that that's where Jesus taught his sermon on the plain. And what we have in this sermon is a series of aphorisms and admonitions that get to the heart of what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And I say heart because this is about the heart. It's about our inner disposition. You see, it's about this, that we are so changed by the love and mercy and grace of God 
that we have new desires, new motivations, new attitudes, which issue then in new love, in new mercy and grace being extended to all those whom we have dealings with. But it begins with our hearts being changed. And really, the admonitions that Jesus gives us in the verses that I've read to you today are kind of a continued unpacking of the golden rule that we read in verse 31 last week, which Poe preached from. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The golden rule. And originally, certainly at the time, there were uh, negative iterations of the golden rule. Don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. Jesus took that and turned it into a positive. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this golden rule leads to a kind of golden chain of commands, which are kind of an expression of that golden rule. And so the passage we've just read, I have found could be divided really into five kind of golden uh, links to the chain. The first is that we should be accepting. Do not judge, do not condemn, Jesus says. The second is that we should be forgiving. Forgive others that you may be forgiven. Thirdly, we should be giving. Give and it will be given to you. Fourthly, we should be trained. We should be those who are in training. He's talked about the blind leading the blind and how we need to have a teacher who, is fo- who, who fully trains us through their clear-sighted leadership and teaching. And so we need to be trained. And finally, we need to be examining ourselves. Jesus talks about this plank in our own eye, which we need to stop and examine ourselves before we start to examine others. And so we're to be accepting, forgiving, giving, training, and examining. Now let's have a look at this. Let's unpack some of these a little bit more. So first of all, to be accepting. In verse 37, Jesus says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Now this, of course, is a very well-known saying in our society. It's possibly one of, you know, um, Britain's favorite kind of verses from the Bible. Everybody quotes it. We all know, don't judge. Don't judge people. Everyone knows that verse. I would suggest, though, that it's possibly also one of the most widely misunderstood verses in the Bible as well. People go around and say, well, we shouldn't judge anyone, should we? Uh, We shouldn't judge people's lifestyles. You know, who are you to judge other people? As long as they're not harming anyone, we shouldn't judge other people. Um, You're a Christian. You shouldn't be so, you shouldn't be judging people. You shouldn't be telling people what's right and wrong. We shouldn't be judging. Jesus says, don't judge. And people think that that's what it means. So it's important we understand what Jesus did mean and what he didn't mean when he said, do not judge. And he's not saying that we shouldn't judge between right and wrong, between good and bad, between the truth and what is not true. He's not saying that we shouldn't be discerning about things, that we shouldn't call out, recognize, and avoid sin in ourselves 
and sometimes in others. I mean, after all, Jesus did. Jesus was discerning. Jesus knew what was in people's hearts, it tells us back in the early part of chapter 6. He knew what was going on in people's minds. Jesus called out things that were wrong in people. Jesus said in this very passage, just a little bit after this, by their fruit, you will know what people really are. You'll look at their fruit and you'll be able to judge what kind of person they are. You see, Jesus teaches us in the Gospels so that we can become mature Christians who can discern the truth, can discern what is right and what is wrong, so that we can make sound judgments about how to live and what is good and what is bad. And so then, we're not to say that therefore we should never be judging anything or discerning anything. In fact, we find that wonderful account, don't we, of Jesus when she's uh, when there's this woman who has been caught in the act of adultery and Jesus is called to intervene and to make a judgment on what should happen to this woman and the Pharisees are standing there with their rocks ready to hurl their rocks at her and stone her for her adultery. And Jesus says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And of course, one by one, they drop their rocks and they melt away into the crowd. And Jesus then turns to the woman and says, does anybody condemn you? Well, then neither do I condemn you. He's not judging. He's not condemning. But then he says, but go and sin no more. Jesus recognizes the sin, names the sin within her life, says you mustn't do that anymore. He judges that that's not good for you to do that. And you notice here that what Jesus is doing is he's not being judgmental towards someone. He's being gracious, forgiving, and yet nevertheless still naming what is good and what is bad. And of course, he calls out the sin in the Pharisees as well. He calls out their hypocrisy, their judgmentalism, and he pins their sin as well. And so we find that Jesus is judging and discerning things, both of the hypocrisy and the adultery, but he himself never sins by having a sinful attitude within himself in the process. And we're called to do the same. This verse is about not being judgmental. In here, in chapter 6, when Jesus says, do not judge, what he's saying to us is that we should avoid judgmentalism, which is harsh, which is censorious, which lacks love. You know, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, love always believes, but the judgmental person never believes in anybody's motives being good. This is talking about someone who's always questioning the motives of others, always being cynical about the actions of others, always being critical about others, always fault-finding, nitpicking in other people, looking for fault, whether that's on social media or in personal relationships. They're always assuming the worst of somebody else, 
They're being critical, and you can't win with this kind of person, can you? Because, you know, you try to put it right, you try to defend yourself, and they question your motives, and they think that you're probably just doing it for some but wrong reason. And so you, you can't win whether you say something or don't say something. You kind of just can't win. Now listen, before we point the finger at everybody else for being judgmental like this, let's take a look at the log in our own eye on this one. And Jesus uses that burlesque picture, that humorous picture, doesn't he, of a large log in our eyes. You see, we do have lurking within all of us, I would suggest, a propensity towards judgmentalism of other people. It can make us feel better about ourselves if we spot things in other people. It somehow gives us a feeling of power. There's, there's a sinful attitude within us that just can look for faults in other people in a way that is not worthy and gracious and constructive. So let me ask you, are you judgmental? Do you tend to believe the best in others or the worst in others? Do you look for people's weaknesses before you see their strengths? What about parents with our kids? Do we jump on everything that they do? Are we judgmental towards them? What about teenagers with your parents? Do you, do, you, do you always find the fault in your parents? Do you always kind of spot the things that kind of wind you up and, and actually you're being critical of your parents Well, actually their motives might well be that they want the best for you, but you don't see it that way. You see it as they're just always out to get you. Are we being judgmental of other people? What about within our marriages? Are we fault-finding? Are we nitpicking? Are we remembering all the things that have been done against us? Are we questioning our partner's motives in their, what they're doing? Oh, you're just out to get something. You're just trying to butter me up or whatever. We always being questioning about their motives or their actions. I've found that this can ruin a marriage where there is a breakdown of trust, where we no longer really believe one another anymore. And so we're always kind of looking and assuming the worst. Let me encourage you today, if you spot a bit of judgmentalism within your heart, do what Jesus said, which is rather than pointing out the faults in others, and there are faults in others, and sometimes, to be honest, they could be quite big ones, okay, even in our marriages and so on. But actually, first, focus on yourself, Focus on you being the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. Sort out the log in your own eye. Work on yourself. Be trained by the master so that you can be like Jesus in that relationship. And then trust God that he can work in the other person as he sees you or she sees you being changed and being different. Yes, sure, sometimes we point things out in one another, but focus on yourself. Do what you need to do First, focus on how you can be different before you focus on how others ought to be different. Now, what we find here is this kind of approach then from Jesus. Don't judge other people. We find this kind of, um, if you like, judgment of charity where we're prepared to believe the best. We're prepared to cut some slack for other people. And actually, in the legal system, the English legal system, that's how our system is set up. 
In criminal cases, for example, people are innocent until proven guilty. We don't just assume they're guilty. There has to be evidence. And furthermore, that evidence has to be beyond reasonable doubt in order to bring conviction. And so our legal system, based on the Mosaic law, I would suggest, is set up so that we would rather see five, pill, five guilty people go free than see one innocent person convicted. There is built within it this kind of charity, this judgment of charity, which means that we believe we can't bring ultimate justice in this world, but that's okay because God will bring ultimate justice in the world to come. And so we don't just always nitpick in everything, but we trust God. And so there's this judgment of charity. Now look, think about it for a minute. I think that we all use this judgment of charity towards ourselves, don't we? We like to say to other people, well, I didn't mean it. Don't assume I, may, I had the wrong motives. I really didn't mean it like that. Cut me some slack. Understand what I was going through. I really, it was a mistake. Whatever, we make excuses. We make allowances for ourselves. Now, why don't we take the principle that Jesus said here, do to others as you would have them do to you. If that's how you want to treat yourself, then treat other people in the way that you would treat yourself and that you do treat yourself. Now, I um, sort of can quote something here. I'm not going to be able to quote it nearly as well as my daughter would, but, you know, there's a song um, by... Uh, hang on, I've forgotten her name now for a minute... Um, she, who is it? Oh gosh, I've, uh, sorry, T uh, Swift, Taylor Swift, Swifty, all right, Swifty, here we go. I do actually listen to this album, believe it or not, I'm not copying someone else. And uh, I know all the words Elsie says, and uh, she sings a song called You Need to Calm Down, You're Being Too Loud. And it's all about judging everybody else. And she says, I ain't trying to mess with your self-expression, but I've learned the lesson that stressing and obsessing about somebody else is no fun. You need to calm down. You're being too loud. And we look at Jesus and we see that this is what he was like. Jesus touched an unclean leper who had been rejected by society. Jesus called to himself a much-hated and vilified tax collector, Levi. Jesus ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus forgave people. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in verse 37, we read that we are to be forgiving so that we will be forgiven, or because we have been forgiven. The sign of a truly forgiven person is that they will be willing to forgive others. I read an account of a pastor called Sangster in the 1950s. He was a much-loved pastor at Westminster Central Hall. And at Christmas, he had a guest come to stay a few days before Christmas, and the guest watched Sangster write some Christmas cards, and the guest said, why are you writing a Christmas card to that person? Don't you remember what that person did to you 18 months ago, what that person said about you 18 months ago? 
And Sanctus said, yes, I do remember what they said about me 18 months ago, but I also remember that at the time I asked God to give me the grace to forgive that person for what they'd done. And so I've forgiven them. And so he posted the cards. What do we do when somebody lets us down? When we feel hurt? Well, I suggest first that we find grace to forgive. And that can be difficult, but we can do it by the grace of God. And then we might be just a little bit more careful in our dealings with that person next time. But they let us down again. They betray our trust again. What do we do? We forgive again. But we may now be more cautious, wise, discerning. Actually, maybe I won't give you my business next time. Actually, I won't give you my money. I won't give you my heart. I won't share my secrets with you. I'm being wise and discerning, and yet I'm also being forgiving. You see, the judgment of charity is not the same as the judgment of naivety. We're not to be naive in our dealings with people. And in verse 39 to verse 40, we read of Jesus saying that the blind do not lead the blind. And if they do, if you were a blind person, you wouldn't employ another blind person to be your guide along the street, would you? Because you'd both end up in the ditch. Okay, you employ a sighted person or dog or whatever to lead you so that you can stay on track. And we want to be led by someone who is clear-sighted, who sees the issues. Who is that person? Surely, above all, it is Jesus. And as we are trained by him, as we learn from him, we can avoid the ditches of life, and we can walk the wiser path. And as we learn from our master, we then become more like him. We become more forgiving and more giving. You see, Jesus spent his life giving, giving, giving. And he still keeps giving. He gives us his grace, his love, his help, his comfort, whatever we need. He keeps on giving. And so should we. And that's why in verse 38, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. And the picture is drawn from the marketplace there of you holding your big apron. And as someone pours in the grain, they're not stingy in their measure towards you. But they actually press it down and then they shake it get rid of any air gaps, and then they pour some more. So the point is that it starts to spill over. Such is the generosity of the measure that they give to you. And we're told to be generous in our measure towards other people. You know, when someone pours you a Coke at the pub or a pint, and they pour that Coke and there's loads of ice in it because you're not getting a full measure of Coke, just lots of water, and they're leaving a gap at the top. Or they're pouring that pint and, you know, there's a big gap and, no, they're supposed to pour it so that it spills over. So the waitress has trouble carrying it to the table because it's right at the top. 
We see here Jesus is saying we should give generous measure towards other people, and that as we give generously to that measure, it will be given back to us. Now, this is about us giving then. It's about giving our time, our gifts, as Anita was talking about, our love, our money, whatever it is. It's about being generous. It's about having a heart that is generous towards people and towards God. The founder of Quaker Oats, H.P. Cromwell, said this. As a Christian, Christian businessman, he said, for over 40 years, I have given 60 to 70% of my income to God, but I have never gotten ahead of him. He has always been ahead of me. But this principle of generosity is ultimately not just about what we give externally, but it is about our hearts. It's about having magnanimous hearts. That word magnanimous, we may not use it very often, but it's a great word. It comes from the Latin magnus, which means great, and animus, which means spirit. And it's speaking about being great-spirited, about being big-souled people. And if we are big-souled, if we have hearts that are expanded by the love of God, then we won't be stingy. We'll give. We'll give the benefit of the doubt to people. We'll give grace to people. We'll give forgiveness to people. We'll not be stingy in our giving, our generosity, our time, our resources, our lives for the benefit of others. We will be magnanimous, big souls if we received his big grace. We'll be radically generous. It will pour out of us. It'll spill over from us to those around us. During my holidays, I enjoyed this little book here, Complete Surrender, about the life of Eric Liddell. And we all know, of course, how Eric Liddell refused to run that 100 meter in the Olympics because it was run on a Sunday and then switched to the 400 meters and won the gold medal and set a world record. And we all know that bit of the story. But what a lot of people don't realize is that Eric Liddell then went on to become a missionary. And he went to China and he gave himself for many, many years to serving people in China, he ended up as a prisoner of war held by the Japanese in China. And whilst he was a prisoner of war in horrendously squalid conditions with people all around suffering terribly, Eric Little was the shining light in that concentration camp. He was the one who kept on giving and giving and giving. He was the one who organized the sports tournaments for the teenagers to keep them occupied. He was the one who ran errands for everyone. He was the one who swatted flies for people and fleas out of their beds. He was the one who gave his rations to other people. He just, he just gave and gave every day. He just expended himself for other people. Why? Because he was so full of the love of God that it spilled out of him, it poured out of him, and 
and he was undiscriminate in his help of people, whoever they were. It says, wherever there was pain and suffering, whenever a comforting word or a helping hand was needed, Eric was there. If the young, the frail, the infirm required extra food, he would offer his own meager rations without prejudice or discrimination. And what a lot of people don't know is that he actually died in that concentration camp. He died of a brain tumor, but even to the last days, he was still giving his energy, everything he had, every ounce he had, he was trying to serve still. And at his death and at his funeral, the preacher said this to him, of, of him. Yesterday, a man said to me, of all the men I have ever known, Eric Little was the one in whose character and life the spirit of Jesus Christ was preeminently manifested. And all of us who are privileged to know him with any intimacy echo this judgment. What was the secret of his consecrated and far-reaching influence? Absolute surrender to God's will as revealed in Jesus Christ. He was a God, his was a God-controlled life, and he followed his master and Lord with a devotion that never flagged and with an intensity of purpose that made men see both the reality and power of true religion. Eric Little, a little Jesus in that camp, full of the love of Jesus. How about you? How about me? May I encourage you today to know that Jesus is like that to us. He extends his grace to you right now. He keeps on giving. He keeps on giving what you need. You can receive from him again and again, whether you deserve it or you don't, and probably you don't, but he still is willing to be generous towards you. And then he wants you to live that life amongst those that you are with every day. So let us pray together as we finish. Lord God, we thank you for this challenging teaching. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't just tell us how to live, but you modeled it, you lived it yourself. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to receive from you, receive your grace, your forgiveness, your generosity, to know that you've got good in store for us, even though we may not feel it, to know that your heart is for us and not against us, that you loved us while we were still your enemies. How much more will you save us in this life now that we are your friends? I pray, oh God, that we would know your amazing, overflowing love towards us. You shed abroad your love into our hearts. And I pray, oh God, that as we have expanded hearts full of your love, that we would spill over in life, lives of love and giving and forgiving towards others. Deliver us from criticism and harshness in our spirits. Help us to be more and more like you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.